Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a guest interview for you. It is hard to believe we are already through February. So this will be the last episode of February for 2023, which will cap off our seventh episode for this month. For those of you who are new to the podcast or have been checking in periodically, just a quick recap of what episodes came up this month. I started out by doing a guest interview with Brad Kearns, who's been on the show before, and we talked about all things health and fitness around what he's up to, and generally speaking, how adults can include recess in their lives, essentially. I also did a recap on my training progression so far this year, as well as how I was using the Rocky Raccoon 100 to work on some race-specific procedures. Then I had a, what I consider an achievement podcast when uh, Steve Magnus, one of the coaches I followed for quite a long time and crafted my own training and racing off a lot of the information he's provided over the years, came onto the show and just talked about his training principles, things like mental toughness, measurables, all sorts of things that go into putting together training and mindset around running. Also, I dove into a couple topics as well. One was on the long run, considering all the variables of why you'd maybe do a long run, where maybe some of those physiological benefits end and what the application would maybe be for, say, someone doing a long ultra marathon. Uh, Also, I had a guest interview with Christian Morgan, who is an Appalachian Trail record attempt individual. He's done it a few times, actually. He's heading out for another one. And he's just one of those guys from the, what we consider the long trail community to do these really long efforts, like the Appalachian trails over 2000 miles. So I wanted to get into his head a little bit and find out like what keeps you coming back to something that is that long and grueling and, uh, and time sense or time consuming, I should say. And then finally, the last episode I just released, uh, before this one was on time restricted eating and performance. I had a few guests reach about, reach out about that and uh, wanted to kind of know a little more details about like what the different structures are with it. Is it something worth considering? What are the pros and cons to including something like that in your eating patterns, especially if you are, like I said, training for an endurance race. And like I said, the episode you're tuning into today is with Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Just a little bit about him before we jump in. Dr. Dwayne Scotty is a running physical therapist, run coach, host of the Healthy Runner podcast, the founder of Spark Healthy Runner, and has been a leader in the rehab and running community for 20 plus years. Dwayne initially started running as an adult, wanting to add some cardio to his gym sessions. After having a hip surgery, his doctor advised him to get off the treadmill and run outside. Without having fully recovered, Dwayne suffered running-related hamstring tendon injury and many others as a novice runner. You can learn more about how Dwayne became a healthy runner by heading to his website, As a coach, he has guided thousands of athletes back to running, finishing their first marathon, crushing personal bests, and even the elusive Boston Marathon qualifying time. Currently, Dwayne leads an amazing team of running coaches, health and fitness professionals. You can learn more about the Spark Healthy Runner team by heading to his website as well. He is truly living his passion, educating the runner and running community that they don't need to stop running to get over a running injury. Though his signature one-on-one coaching program, weekly videos, and podcast episodes, he empowers runners to get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. 
Dr. Duane truly believes that anyone can run and that all runners should be treated differently when recovering from an injury. He is on a mission to change the traditional thinking that running causes overuse injuries or your body is just not meant to run and you must take a break to get better. Through strength and run specific training, you can grow a strong mind, strong body, and just keep running. Uh, you can go check out Dwayne's full running epiphany story on his website as well. Uh, some education background, Dwayne received his Bachelor of Health Science degree and Master's of Physical Therapy degree from Quinnipiac University in 2001 and 2003. He then went on to receive a clinical doctor of physical therapy and a PhD in physical therapy from Nova Southeastern University in 2017. Dwayne is a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist, RRCA certified running coach, certified mulligan practitioner, certified in dry needling, and has advanced training in spinal manipulation and rehabilitation for runners. As an athlete, Dwayne is an adult onset runner, two-time marathoner, avid half marathoner, and enjoys challenging himself to learn and grow in his personal running journey. As a native of New York from Long Island, Dwayne currently lives in Cheshire, Connecticut with his wife, Deb, and his two teenage daughters who are competitive volleyball players. They all love to explore new beaches along the East Coast. All right, that's a little background on Dwayne for some perspective. For this particular episode, we looked at Dwayne's six-step six plan to grow as a runner. So some of the topics we highlighted with that were mindset, strength training, run planning, nutrition, recovery, and ultimately race strategy. All right, before we welcome Dwayne onto the show, just a few quick announcements. One is if you're looking for some support along the coaching front, you can head over to my website at zachbitter.com where I have a bunch of pre-made plans adjusted for all distances and all ability levels. Or if you want to work on me with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can sign up for personalized coaching or sign up for a consultation if you just want to chat. Also, if you are going to be in the Austin area or live in the Austin area and want to meet up, I host a Sunday morning group run. We currently have an 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. option, and we meet at Mets Park. You can find details on that by heading over to the Instagram account, which is just outliersATX. Finally, if you want to check out the full show catalog details and support the show, you can do that by going to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. From there, you can find the list and details of all the previous episodes, as well as options to either support the show through one-time donations or jump on the show Patreon page. When I record an episode, I throw those up, intro, ad-free, early release. So if that's something you want to get right to the point of the episodes and do it that way and support the show at the same time, show Patreon page is the way to go. Links to that are zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. Also, if you want to help out, through other means, one way you can do that is by sharing episodes that you enjoy with your friends, family, and on social media platforms that helps me grow the show listener base and ultimately create more episodes. All right, folks, thanks a bunch for tuning into this episode. Let's walk, welcome in Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Dwayne, thanks for coming on and uh, agreeing to chat with me about some running and training specific stuff. Hey, Zach, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for uh, the invite. And I always love chatting about uh, running and training. So this is going to be good. Yeah, yeah. I I was interested in having you on after I was on your podcast, which was fun to kind of talk about my background and things like that. And then you made me aware of some of the stuff that you're interested in, including your kind of your your process to grow as a runner. And I thought this will be a good one for folks just to kind of tune into to kind of 
more or less go back to the basics to some degree in terms of kind of like, I like to think of it as like, we all get busy. We all kind of know a lot of stuff around what we should be doing or have an idea, but having a kind of an outline of it laid out as to like, here are some like important things to consider. Here's some foundational things to keep in mind and just remind yourself as to why we do them versus not do some and do others or lean into some more heavily versus others. So I think this will be a fun, fun thing to chat about. Yeah. And it, it is one of those things, right. That most runners like to run. Right. And yeah. a lot of times, um, they're not necessarily passionate about the other elements that kind of, you know, allow us to be able to do the thing that we love, uh, which is run and stay healthy along the way. So that's kind of, you know, my passion, my take, you know, being a running physical therapist and, you know, growing in my kind of career journey, as well as my adult onset runner journey. Um, so, you know, unlike yourself, I, I was never a runner in, in middle school and, you know, stumbled upon it after getting hip surgery actually at age 31. So as I've kind of, you know, learned over the years, um, there is a way that as we age, as we get into our mid thirties, our forties, our fifties and beyond, you know, there's a way that we can do this and, and actually stay healthy. And, you know, so we can actually enjoy the benefits and the, uh, all the, the mental physical benefits that running brings us on a, a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I'd be, I'd be curious about your perspective, um, over the last couple of years too. I know, uh, one thing I've been really, I wouldn't say surprised about, but like thought is kind of a cool observation is the different people who have come into running over the last couple of years. And I was actually talking to a buddy here who's local to Austin, who's relatively new. And he's like, Oh, I'm a COVID runner. I was like, Oh yeah. So he's like, you know, it's a group of people who weren't runners before they likely were doing some sort of fitness thing that discovered over the pandemic, Hey, my gym is closed or um, you know, I'm going to try something different because I'm working from home now. And I've got this opportunity to try out running. They maybe didn't realize that they would like it as much as they did. And then they got into it. And now it's like this big piece to their life. Have you seen a lot of like variety of new runners coming or different types of runners, I should say, coming into it, uh, through your, your practice and things like that over the last couple of years? Yeah, no, absolutely. You bring up a great point. I would say literally a third of the runners, uh, that we work with, um, within our like coaching program and, and, you know, the runners that we help is, is they consider themselves COVID runners, right. And all the stress that was going on at the time and gyms being closed, you know, people did, you know, start taking up running and a lot of people took it up, honestly, even to just stay mentally sane during that time period. Um, I know for me, that was definitely something that helped get me through, uh, you know, that time period and, and there are a lot of people who, you know, enjoyed it and they found, you know, the, the, this quote unquote runner's high, right. That we get, or just the mental release, the stress relief. And they, they, you know, got outside for the first time, like myself, when I was a, you know, a, a quote unquote gym rat, like ever since college and PT school to actually going outside and doing exercise. Like that was new for me when I was 31. And, you know, once you get outside and you're like, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. It kind of brings you back to being a kid, like playing outside. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of people really did embrace that and, and, you know, they've stuck with it. And unfortunately, you know, I see a lot of these folks, uh, because unfortunately they start battling injuries and, you know, like most runners, when they first start out, um, 
we get really ambitious and, you know, we usually start to, you know, creep up that mileage, creep up your pace, start to run faster and, and really get, you know, that, um, runner's bug and, you know, you do your first couple of races and you want to PR everything. And, and unfortunately, you know, don't think about some of the other things that we need to do in our training in order to stay healthy. And then that's when the injuries, you know, creep up and, you know, unfortunately the, you know, injuries associated with runners is extremely high out there. And we've done some research on this as well. Um, but, you know, in the general population, you know, nine out of 10 runners are going to suffer a running related injury. And, you know, the big thing that I'm, I'm really passionate about is, is preventing those injuries and preventing runners from either having to get an invasive injection surgery or stop running for any length of time, you know, where they have to shut it down or they see a medical provider that just tells them, well, it, it was your running. That's why you got injured. If you weren't running, then you wouldn't get injured. So <laughs> stop running. And then when you feel better, then try to do it again. You know, that's the general consensus out in, in most medical communities. Unfortunately, um, things are starting to improve uh, the past, I would say, five to 10 years where there are more practitioners who are specializing in working with runners. Um, but, you know, there is a way that we can prevent those injuries from occurring in the first place. And, you know, many of it honestly has to do with the training aspect um, and what you, you know, preach and what you help your clients with and the things that you've done in your own training, as you know, um, a lot of that can actually help prevent um, many of the injuries that we see as kind of running practitioners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you did a nice job of kind of like leading into some of the first topics that I want to talk about. And one is like, uh, the mindset side of it too. And like, like, what is your why or your reason for being there? I was speaking to someone not too long ago and said they got into running during the pandemic as well. And it was like, because they were just in their house with their family all the time. And I mean, they love their family, but you know how it is. It's like, you can only, you need breaks. People need breaks. And it was like, that was their outlet. They'd go out and they go for a run they'd get away from the kids and, and the, their spouse for a little bit of time and just kind of like reset and they'd come back and they recognize that when I do that, I'm just a much more pleasant person to be around. And I thought that was an, an interesting why, but then like you mentioned too, you have this situation there where like you kind of have to be careful because there's still like a dosage response that's appropriate to keep you injury free versus finding yourself no longer being able to use that vehicle for a period of time because you aggravated something. No, absolutely. And the, the body is amazing, right? It can do some amazing things. And I don't need to tell you that, um, you know, for me thinking about running a hundred miler, I, you know, I, I think my body would break down. Right. But obviously you've adapted your body <laughs> to be able to, you know, that's the norm for you. And for some it, it's, it's the norm to run 26.2 for some it's, you know, normal to run a half marathon. And like, I could say, 10 years, you know, 10 plus years now, like 12 years into my running journey, like my body now has adapted to, yes, I've done like 30 half marathon. Like I feel confident, like I can do that. And it's not a huge strain on my body, right? For some, it's a 5k, but we have to allow that time for our bodies to adapt to the demands of running. Um, and it will eventually adapt, 
but most of the time uh people are just not patient enough unfortunately like we want things done like yesterday right and we want to get faster and we want to you know hit prs and and want to be able to run our first marathon you know people have they start running and they're like yeah i'm gonna run a marathon in you know four months or six months and for the most, uh, the majority of folks, you know, that, that is not going to be the best, uh, thing to do unless again, you are younger and you are in your teens and your twenties and, you know, your tissues are more pliable. Um, unfortunately for most of us kind of adult onset runners, I'll call us, um, you know, as we get into our, especially mid thirties, forties and fifties, our tendons are just not as healthy as they were when we were younger. We don't have as much blood flow, not as pliable. And they really don't respond as well to ramping up, you know, fairly quickly, aggressively in training programs um, without, you know, having some pain, without getting an injury. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I said this a few times on this podcast with one of my former guests and friends, uh, Matt Vincent, he was like a Highlands game athlete and uh, he's done a bunch of other stuff too. And he's like, yeah, you know, the he's in his mid thirties. And he said like, yeah, when I was in my, my mid twenties, they could just abuse the machine and it responded. But you know, now that I'm a little bit older, I got to be really careful. Cause like you do that and you end up with an injury and it doesn't just bounce back and respond to that stimulus the way it would have when you were younger. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, that's why, you know, I I've kind of created this framework of really thinking about like six principles and how we can, you know, grow as runners, but also, stay healthy along the way so we can enjoy it because if we keep getting injured if we keep getting in that injury cycle where your achilles flares up your you know hamstring tendon flares up uh, your it band um, with a hilly you know downhill uh, race uh, keeps flaring up every time you know you you jump up into you know 14 16 18 mile range um, that most marathoners wind up getting it band syndrome um, there are ways that we can prevent that if we're addressing, you know, the root causes of that, um, you know, whether they're training, whether they're strength. Um, and I'm sure we can kind of get into some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump in. And I think starting with mindset is a great topic to start with because I think that a lot oftentimes drives both like the reason and the actual action of doing what you do in the beginning and having that right oftentimes gets you off to a starting point where it, it keeps you kind of injury free. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your idea behind mindset and how you kind of approach that with, uh, with a runner that you're working with. Yeah. So as far as, you know, mindset, and this is one of those things that I think when you start running, you know, you don't think about it all. Um, you know, you get motivated. Uh, a lot of the runners we work with, whether it is, hey, I want to lose, you know, 20 pounds. I want to lose, you know, get back in shape. Um, you know, you, you want to maybe get back into running that you haven't done since earlier in life. And, and or you just want to do something crazy for your 40th birthday and you want to run your first marathon, right? Or your 50th birthday. And, and those are usually um you know for adult runners where it comes into play but we really need to think about like why are we doing this um you know and if you do have a a big goal um to do a marathon to do an ultra right your first ultra and you got to think about like what why do i really want to do this and you need to define that and it has to be, you know, something that is well-defined that you can go back to when the training gets tough, when you get to that P 
peak in the training or if it is, you know, here on the East Coast right now, it's pretty cold weather. We're actually having a mild winter, so I shouldn't complain. But like if you're training right now for your goal race that's in early spring, you know, you need to make sure your why is really strong so you can actually get out the door when it's dark outside, when it's cold outside and still get your training in. Um, and, you know, so making sure you have that well-defined why, but then also having clear and realistic expectations based upon what is going on in your life. What, you know, is your fitness level? Is this your first ultra that you're running? Is this your first marathon? Um, and then, you know, also thinking about all of the other variables in your life. One of the, the things that we find very common in runners is we think that running is the only stressor to our bodies. And if we do the training plan, if I just do these miles, that my plan says, then I will be able to run this 50K, right? I will be able to run this marathon. But it's actually all the other physical and mental stress that we have in our lives that go into you actually completing that training. So it's not only the physical stress and, you know, some people might have physical jobs, right? Like we have many people, if they're a manual laborer job or they're working for Amazon or UPS and they're schlepping boxes all day on their feet. And now this is their first time that they're going to actually increase their weekly running volume to 50, 60 miles a week. Like that's going to be a lot of physical stress on their body. And then the, mental stress is what everyone forgets about. And, you know, they're, they're wondering why they're not having energy to hit that long run or to, you know, get that faster workout in. Um, and usually it's when we kind of dive into what else is going on in their lives. Um, you know, maybe their daughter just dropped out of college and now they're back home with them. Right. Or, there's, you know, they got a sick uh, relative, a uh, sick parent that they're taking care of, that they're constantly every day after work, they're going to the hospital and they're taking care of, you know, a sick parent or they just had a recent divorce, right? Like there are all these other life stressors that are going on. And I think about the years when I was doing my PhD work, I went kind of back to school for an academic um, PhD, um, six years of like working full-time, teaching part-time, doing a PhD, I was literally burning the candle, all ends, four hours sleep every night, not proud of it, never want to go back to those six years of life. But I did continue running through that because I kind of needed to for stress relief, but it significantly affected my performance. Like during those years, if I tried to PR my half marathon, like it wasn't going to happen. And that wasn't realistic expectations. So just kind of bringing all of those factors into play so you can set realistic goals based upon your fitness level, your life circumstances, and you know what is it that you are shooting for in terms of race distance. And I'm sure, you know, I would love to get your take on this because I know I, I would imagine, you know, you're working with a lot of, you know, runners probably tackling, you know, the 50K for the first time, the 50 miler, the 100 miler for the first mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Do you find that um, as well? Yeah. I think one of the things that I like to do is like, I think like a lot of times with my ultra marathon clients, they come in with a very powerful, like big why, where it's like they have a very good reason that I would be like, wow, that's an incredible uh, reason to be deciding to run, say, 100 miles. And then my next step usually is from there, thinking about it as like, 
this is great, but we have to be practical about how motivating that is going to be on that random Tuesday morning, three months into the plan versus how motivating it is right now and how motivating it will likely be when you're actually standing on that starting line. So from there, it's like kind of breaking down like the structure of the plan or like letting them know like, well, here's my philosophy in terms of kind of like how we're going to like play speed work and long run development, all these other things in the plan so that then they have the opportunity to look for like, all right, I have these other whys, these smaller whys that I can kind of use throughout the plan as like kind of fun little targets to go for so that you stay motivated to, you know, go do that random workout that maybe isn't going to like highlight the progress, the way like crossing the finish line would or something like that, which I find kind of like an interesting piece of the puzzle is like you have your like your macro why and your micro whys. Yeah. And, and just kind of shut, set those like short-term goals, right. To like mm -hmm. keep them, keep them moving forward. Um, yeah, no, that's good to kind of set those sights on, on some of those shorter things and hit those, um, can help with, uh, motivation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing too, with mindset, I always find to be somewhat interesting is like, usually people like they, they find themselves in the sport of running because of a friend or someone they follow online. And I think most people are just generally they like they they do by following or by an example or trying to like mimic or parrot what someone else is doing and 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 that can both be powerful because you can be motivated like you know flip your phone open and watch some some other runner like you know execute a workout and get you all jazzed to go and do yours but you also have to step back and then think about like okay how do I replicate what they're doing, but scale it to where I'm at? Because ultimately, regardless of whether, you know, the race is 100 miles or 13 miles or whatever it happens to be, the path to your most successful day is always going to be taking the right dosage so that you can micro stress over time to a point where you're going to be your best self in the time frame you have versus trying to bite off too much you can chew, maybe get injured, or at the very least take a future workout off the table because you did too much in any one given session because you mimic what someone else did when they've been doing it for multiple years versus you for the first time around. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And and that's the the problem with social media, right? Is you know, you can see people's workouts and but you don't really know the backstory of how they got to that point. Or, you know, just looking on Strava, right? Like how is someone running their easy runs at whatever pace? Yeah. And you don't know the backstory behind that. Um, you don't know how long they've been working at it. You don't know what else they're doing that maybe you're not doing, right? And you know, you, you're not sure of their health status. So there's so many variables that we don't see. Um, so I agree that you you definitely need to, you know, scale things to where you're currently at. You know, where is it that you can push your limits, but also stay within you know, not really increasing too much load to your tissues that kind of ex exceeds like the tissue capacity. And, you know, when we do exceed it, unfortunately, that's when our tissues uh, start to scream at us and, and, you know, start to have some pain and, you know, we don't want you to be sidelined um, with an injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I think that gets almost forgotten to some degree on the recovery process is that you are loading up like tendons and ligaments. And if you do injure them, that sort of redefines where the training load tolerance to that area is going to be. So it's, it's, it's this weird kind of combination where the rest of your body is still fit and healthy can probably tolerate more, but this one area needs to, you need to match your weakest link essentially with that sort of a scenario when trying to kind of rehab and come back from injury, which I find interesting. And it also kind of brings us into another topic that I think is interesting, which is strength training. 
Um, because this has just evolved somewhat from when I first started running where like when I first got into running strength training, it, it was a little more polarizing in my opinion, where you'd have people who are like very like, um, into it and just like, yeah, this is something that you should include. And there's other people who are just like, that's a waste of time. If you got time to go to the gym, you got time to run more miles, go out and run more miles. And I find that to be like just an interesting mindset. And I think some of it was just based on some of the, and you could probably highlight us on this and tell me if I'm heading in the right direction is like some of the early strength work, like research from an injury prevention standpoint was very promising and, and basically was a slam dunk in a lot of the team sports as to like, yeah, you include this because it's going to reduce pretty significantly your injury risk. And they got around to runners and it wasn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily reflect that same reduce reduction in injury. So the first thought was, well, if it's not reducing injury and it's not like directly contributing to uh, the performance aspect of the sport, why would I put it? You put something else in there. It's an easy thing to give up on. And I think what they ended up realizing with that was it wasn't that it was a injury. It wasn't reducing injury risk. It just allowed runners to push past where they were before. So now they're actually doing more training, but since they're doing more training, their injury risk remained the same because now they're operating at a higher uh, training load than they were before. They're able to get away with a higher training load before and kind of maintaining that same injury risk. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we don't have any large scale studies that really definitively say that it will reduce uh, the risk of injuries in runners. The problem um, really becomes is, you know, most of uh, the research on running populations does need to be done in like controlled setting. So it's usually some type of team sport um, and they're usually you know, younger runners and they're usually and or professional runners, like a group of runners um, that maybe isn't reflective of the, you know, average adult running population that you see out there at road races. Um, so that's really where it gets, you know, tricky to look at. But, you know, when we go injury by injury, if we look at, you know, runner's knee, if we look at IT band syndrome, if we look at Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, like, the the thing that keeps coming back is strengthening will help recover from those injuries but then also prevent those injuries from coming back and you know doing research on these prospective studies are really really difficult to do and eventually that is in my kind of research line uh, goals but it is it's really hard to do those types of studies where you wind up giving them a specific program um, and control all the other confounding variables that you spoke of in terms of training wise and different variables we have as runners and then follow that running cohort over the next five years and then wind up see who gets injured right versus you know those that did a specific strength you know, training routine versus those that don't. Um, what I can tell you from anecdotal experience in working with many runners for, you know, many years and, you know, most running PTs um, would agree with this is, and, you know, this is really where I kind of had to learn this um, myself, really going through becoming a runner. And at that time in my career, you know, I was a, you know, what we call like an orthopedic sports medicine specialist in, in the field of physical therapy. And I saw a lot of runners in my clinic and I knew a lot about running injuries and, and how to get these runners better. Um, but I didn't understand it from the perspective of being a runner myself yet. 
And it wasn't until I started becoming a runner and then suffered my first running-related injury, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So it's this kind of pain at the bottom of your butt. It kills when you sit for long periods of time. Um, and really learned about tending loading and that most of these running-related injuries do need to be treated differently than how we treat our adolescent athletes. Like I was really, really good at like working with those soccer, basketball players, tear their ACL and like, let's get them back to running. Let's get them back to sport. And, you know, they're going to perform at the highest level. Um, but really getting adults back to running um, as an endurance sport where we're running straight plane, we're not like cutting side to side. You know, obviously, if you are doing a trail stuff, uh, you know, that's a different element of running where it, it is some side to side um, that you need to work on. But there is, you know, recovering from those injuries requires loading of tissues and it's building up the strength and resilience in those tissues that's going to allow you to run. And I think that's the real key in preventing many of the injuries that we see as runners is that most runners either are not strength training or they're not doing the right type of strength training. And, you know, we can get into this a little bit if you like, um, in terms of like different types of strength training, if you think that would be valuable and helpful. Just a quick shout out to one of the show's primary sponsors this year. Element T electrolytes. They are my go-to electrolyte supplement. They make a very convenient product that has these little packets that include 1000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Last year I got my sweat test done and it turns out I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of fluid lost during a workout or throughout the day. So I'll usually mix one of those packets in about two liters of water. If I'm going out for training sessions, I'll also use their chocolate flavor sometimes in the morning with my coffee. It makes a perfect mix. If I use like maybe half a packet of that, some coffee, some heavy cream hits the spot, sends me out to my morning session, ready to roll. Uh, they are currently running a special for HPO podcast listeners, which is a free sample packet with any purchase. So if you go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO, you will be prompted to receive that free sample pack with your first purchase. So what that'll allow you to do is figure out, first of all, if you enjoy the product, and second of all, which flavor is your favorite. My favorites right now, chocolate with that coffee in the morning and watermelon for any of my fluids that I'm drinking throughout the day or out on workouts. So if that's any help for you, those would be a good starting points in my opinion. So head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to check out their stuff. You can also access those links in the show notes or on the show sponsor website, which is zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit because I find that interesting because I think there's obviously like the injury occurred, you kind of have an idea of like what area you probably need to like in the short term focus on, but then also just like kind of the grand scheme of things, is there like a specific strength training program that is going to be best served for just any healthy runner who wants to try to avoid the injury in the first place to kind of treat the whole system uh, through their strength work and kind of put themselves in that best position? Yeah. And, and this is really what I think about. Um, and in kind of my six steps to growing as a, a runner, I kind of use the analogy of like building a strong, durable house. 
Like, what are the steps that you build a house? You like plan it out. You have architects design. That was like the mindset we talked about. The strength training is like where we clear the land. We like pour the foundation. And this is really what, you know, all of those higher mileage that you're going to be doing when you peak in your training, when, you know, you're getting that uh, maximum, you know, weekly volume going, your long runs are at the longest point. You're, you know, speed work, you're doing some hard workouts for your race specific training, it's the foundation that is going to allow your body to tolerate those demands. And, you know, this is always like a great question I always get um, from runners is, you know, when's the best time to actually get guidance? And when's the best time to like, you know, implement the strength training? Should I do it like when I'm starting to train for my marathon? And I'm like, no, we need, there are seasons of running and training cycles, and there's a different season. And the, the focus of your training should shift based upon your goals. So I guess that's the caveat I want to give here as we talk about strength training is it will look different throughout your calendar year and it should, and it will be periodized. So there's going to be a focus in your quote unquote off season when you're not racing, that this is the time to double down on strength training. This is the time to go all in and, um, you know, Looking at strength training for runners, there's a couple of principles that I think are really, really important. Um, the first one is that when we run, we're always on one leg. So we need good single leg stability and single leg strength. So if you're doing a strength program at your local gym, you're doing a boot camp class, you're doing um, even, let's just say, a general CrossFit class, and you're doing like Olympic weightlifting. If it's all on two legs, then we're not adding, we're not really adding your single leg stability and strength that you're going to need for running. And when we're on one leg, the other point there is there are some, you know, specific, especially hip muscles that are kicking in a whole lot um, when we are on one leg. So specifically your side hip muscles, your glute medius, your abductors, and then your deep rotator muscles. And if you're a runner who constantly gets knee pain, whether it's runner's knee, IT band syndrome, it's usually because there are some muscle imbalances, weakness of those two muscle groups. So doing some strength exercises that target those side hip muscles, those deep rotators are really, really important in preventing knee pain in runners. Interesting. Is there the third? Like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Go, you can no, keep going. Go I was just going to ask, is there like a particular movement that your type of, uh, like a, a particular lift or something like that, or if, if it's body weight, like that you like to do to really kind of target those sides of the hips best? Yeah. So I guess, you know, the, let's go to the deep rotator muscle. Most runners are probably familiar. They might've heard of this actually before, like the clamshell um, is like a rehab based exercise. Like most PTs will give it out um, is, is how we isolate uh, the deep rotator muscle. And then in standing, there are some variations. So most of them require like a mini band around your knees. I have some variations on my YouTube channel that I like to give my runners in a standing position where you're kind of bringing your leg out to the side and tapping, or you could even do a standing clamshell where you're standing on one leg, you're rotating around. Um, even something like a monster walk where you're going in a circle will get your deep hip rotator muscles. And then for the side hip muscles, like that glute medius muscle, I really like to make sure that runners know how to activate uh, this muscle because we do find a lot of muscle imbalances with the TFL or IT band. So the muscle that connects to the IT band where a lot of runners are using that muscle. It's in the front of your hip. It's in between your hip flexor and the side of your hip. 
And a lot of uh, runners get trigger points in that muscle. They feel tightness there. And it's because they're overusing it and they're not using their gluteus medius muscle um, like they should when they're standing on one leg. So one way I like to help decrease the overactivity of that TFL muscle and use the glute medius is, you know, lying down on the floor with your back against the wall and sliding your leg up the wall, making sure that your heel is staying against the wall, which helps to bring more what we call hip extension um, as you lift, as opposed to bring your leg up and now it's coming slightly in front of your body, which means your TFL is being activated. So that's a nice way to just find it. And, you know, I might give that to some runners and I like to call it like the humbler where it's like super easy exercise, looks really easy. It's like a Jane Fonda workout, right? Like you're like <laughs> lying down, kicking your leg up. But if you do it right, where your hips are forward, your pelvis is forward, and then your heel is against the wall and you're sliding up and then coming down nice and slowly with good control, you're not using momentum and just like, you know, flailing your leg around, you're going to feel that glute med muscle. And then, you know, going, you have to do a standing progression because that muscle helps actually keep our pelvis level when we're running on one leg. And it's really that hip drop that we get in runners that we see a lot of runners with IT band syndrome or even shin splints, to be uh, honest with you, or posterior tibial tendon issues where everything's collapsing down and in. It's because the pelvis is dropping and they're not kicking in that gluteus medius muscle when they're on one leg. So then, you know, there are different variations. I like to do a hip drop exercise where you're standing on one leg, slowly lowering the, the pelvis and then raising it using that side hip muscle. And then I'm sure everyone's seen like a mini band side walking or a crab walk. Um, you know, there's a way that I, I like to do that um, in different positions. I think most um, runners probably seen where like the knees are slightly bent and they kind of do a little sidestepping. Uh, you just want to make sure that you're you're really feeling it where you should be feeling it. Um, and again, not in your TFL muscle and and more in like the IT band. But those are some you know good examples of how we strengthen uh, the gluteus medius muscle. And then lastly, I'll add in anytime you do any single leg exercise. Um, whether it's a single leg squat, it's a, a lunge into like a balance position, um, you're strengthening that gluteus medius muscle as well, as long as your pelvis is staying level. So you're not getting that hip drop when you're using it. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think those are some great takeaways for folks to actually apply it into their, their strength program. Um, I think I interrupted you with that one though. Do you remember where you were where you were heading before that? Yeah. So, so we were talking about kind of activating, uh, single leg exercises. And then we were talking about like hitting certain run specific muscles. Um, and I mentioned two there. Um, the other one I'll mention is the calf muscle. It's, it's the muscle that is most overloaded when we run, when we look at the percentage of muscle contraction, to what the muscle force and demands are with our body weight, with running two to three times your body weight while we run, the most amount of force that occurs in any of our muscles is our calf muscles, specifically the soleus muscle. So the one deeper than the big kind of gastroc muscle that everyone's familiar with. And it really controls our tibia, our lower leg, moving forward over our ankle. And, you know, not having enough strength in this muscle, and it, it it, it is a very common thing that I, that I see in runners who constantly get injured is they have weakness, they have poor endurance of that muscle. And now we're expecting it to actually perform, you know, with every single step that we take 
to be able to control some of those motions of our lower leg and not get overloaded. And that is, you know, one of the biggest, you know, risk factors for getting Achilles tendon pain. Um, so, you know, making sure you're doing some dedicated calf strengthening exercises in your routine is probably one of the most important things, especially if you're a runner who has had any foot and ankle issues, whether it's Achilles, posterior tibial tendon, plantar fasciitis, um, history of stress fractures um, in the foot, you know, making sure the calf muscle um, is strong and resilient is super, super important as a runner. Whereas, you know, the general bodybuilder or, you know, anyone going to the gym for just general strength training, they don't necessarily need that as much um, for function as we do as runners. And then, you know, the last point that I think is really critical for runners who are strength training is um, training plyometrically. And because running is essentially a series of hops from one foot to the other. So we are, you know, slowing down our body as our foot hits the ground. And most of our muscles are functioning what we call eccentrically or while they're lengthening. And then we spring up off the ground and quicker we get, the more efficient we are as runners and the faster we can run as runners. Um, so the more that we train our muscles to be reactive in nature, where we're used to hitting the ground, springing up, we're kind of taking energy load and then exploding. We're using the energy and using it efficiently to propel us forward um, so we can run faster and further. Um, so making sure there's some element of jump training and, you know, this doesn't need to be something crazy. Like you might've seen, you know, everyone like jumping off of like really tall boxes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't need to be that. There are many different, you know, what I like to call level one plyometric exercises that you, us as runners really need to be able to feel the ground and react off of the ground. And our tendons need to have that type of load and stimulus. Um, and then depending upon the season, again, you're not in peak race mode here, but during the off season is when you can actually do some of those more explosive plyometric exercises to build up now like that muscle strength plyometrically um, that will be helpful for you down the road in your training to help keep you healthy. So those are kind of, you know, some of those foundational principles um, that I would say. And then maybe I'll add, you can tell I'm really passionate about strength training for running. But <laughs> um, the, the other thing I will add, Zach, just because it is very common, um, if your strength training looks like a cardio workout class, then it's definitely not helpful for you as a runner because our main sport is cardio, right? We don't need more cardio um, as runners. So your goal is not to improve your aerobic fitness when you're doing your strength training. So making sure that you are focusing on some, you know, slower controlled movements, some balance work, and then some heavier strength work. If you do have a foundation of strength training and it's not like totally new to you, then you got to load up. You have to actually lift heavier and load the muscles, load the tendons, because that's, what's going to be protective for your body in the future. And, you know, even something like a CrossFit class or like a boot camp class where you're doing like hundred air squats, like to me that that's really not helping you at all as a runner, because you're not actually loading the muscles enough to actually have any 
physiologic change to the muscle that's going to actually strengthen the muscle to be protective for you when you are running. And you're probably even increasing your risk of just overuse and doing the same movement pattern like over and over again and getting some type of overuse injury. So just, you know, making sure that your strength training is progressive, it's challenging in nature and eventually leads to heavier lifting and strength training in a controlled environment. And again, not when you're peaking in your race uh, calendar. Mm -hmm. Really, really interesting stuff. And one follow-up I had was with when people are working on their calf uh, strengthening area. And since that's such an important spot, one thing I was told, curious your thoughts about this is, I think most runners, they think calf work, they're immediately going to go to like calf raises, weighted calf raises, ready, ready for it. Single leg calf raises to kind of match what you were saying, where it's that same kind of dynamic that you're going to see in running where you're one foot at a time. Um, most calf raises that I see are straight leg calf raises. Can you talk to us about the difference between like a straight leg and a bent knee calf raise and why you'd maybe want to implement both of those into your training versus just one or the other? Yeah. So thank you for that clarification. That's excellent. So when we are, uh, doing our calf work with our knee straight, the focus is more on that bigger muscle, the gastroc, uh, muscle, which, you know, if your goal is to add, you know, load, um, then you're going to be able to lift a little heavier with your knees straight, um, as opposed to with your knees slightly bent. Um, usually we recommend about 30 degrees of knee bend or knee flexion, um, because that is the angle in which the soleus is going to really be most active when we're running. So I try to mimic that. Um, you know, there are a couple of different ways, like in my gym, there's like almost like a sled type of leg press, I guess, where, I can easily keep my knees fixed at an angle of 30 degrees. You'll also see, you know, the machines in the gym where we're sitting and we're at 90 degrees. Again, the focus is on the soleus muscle and more on the Achilles tendon. Um, I just don't know if it's the best position because we're never at 90 degrees of <laughs> <Hopefully>. knee bend. <laughs> you're like falling or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or you're running up a really, really tall yeah. hill. <laughs> um, you know, that that's more like stair climbing. Um, uh, if you're really like trekking yeah. up, uh, during your, uh, run. So yeah, those, those are ways where we can kind of shift the focus a little bit more to the soleus. And I, you know, recommend like one day in your strength routine, you're focusing on the gastroc, like you said, with the knee straight another day, you're focusing with the knee slightly bent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for, for that clarification. I think it's, uh, an interesting thought process and, and one where I think a lot of people can learn, learn something from, uh, I know you have another step after strength training that kind of gets into the actual application of running itself. And I find this one really interesting because it's both one that I think can be simplified in a way that like is easier to understand, but it can also get as complex as you want it. So like, if you start out like super complex with this and then the runner, the person's new to running has no idea about just different types of running versus just going out and running with whatever they, you know, feel is right at the moment, uh, is usually a, a good starting point to kind of break it down into like, I guess the more simple comp or the, the more simple, uh, side of things of like, just like essentially like there's these different building blocks to make you a better overall runner. And you can sort of break those down into kind of like easy running your long run development tempo or threshold work. And then like interval or short interval work and things like that. You want to talk to us about how like that planning or the framing of those types of uh, types of running kind of fits within a, a well-executed training plan. 
Yeah. And it, it really all depends upon where you are in your running journey. So I guess, you know, the, again, common mistakes that I see um, is runners getting injured when, you know, they are doing their, their plan that was pre-formatted on their watch. And unfortunately I do find that most of the plans on, on our, different forms of watches, not just one type of watch, um, are a little bit aggressive for newer runners, um, where they're getting into, you know, let's say interval runs, um, for instance, probably earlier in their running journey before they've even built a nice solid, you know, base mileage. Um, so we have to think about where we are in our journey and identify if we are still in the novice phase and we are a beginner and maybe we're, you know, tackling a first ultra, you know, it's not really going to benefit us from like doing some hard intervals on the track as you're also trying to run your longest run you've ever done before, right? To be able to do the longest race you've ever done before. Um, so thinking about where you are in your journey, um, but then conversely, we'll see a lot of runners who are stagnant and they're hitting that plateau and they're not getting any faster and they're wondering why, you know, they can't get PRs anymore. And they're just, you know, running, um, you know, they're, they've been consistent and their mileage is good, but they're not getting any faster. And it's because they're not programming their runs where they are actually now starting to either do threshold work and extend their stamina, right. And be able to run longer distances at a faster pace or actually getting the leg turnover and improving their running form and economy by adding in some interval work. Um, and if they're doing that sometimes, or, you know, it's very common that runners won't actually slow their easy runs down to accommodate that type of training, um, on a weekly basis. So kind of mastering those elements and how they fit into the puzzle. And I think that is really where, you know, a lot of, you know, runners can get free plans off the internet and, you know, they'll see some of these runs in there, but really listening to your body. And if you are doing that, and this is where I don't need to tell you, Zach, like working with someone like Zach, you know, a great coach can take away the guesswork essentially for you and be able to figure out what stimulus your body needs to be able to take it to that next level. But there is somewhat of a science to it um, on which of these runs um, need to be implemented at what times, but they all do serve their purpose. And it depends upon your race distance, your race history. You know, is this a new distance that you're trying to tackle or now this is your, you know, you're going back for seconds, you're going back for thirds of the, of the marathon and you want to get faster. And, you know, the first couple of times you really didn't do this kind of maybe strength and speed building phase in the beginning of your marathon training. And then you transition to more like tempo and threshold work because that's what's going to really help you during your marathon, um, you know, from a performance element. So mm -hmm. it is, uh, and, you know, you've done many episodes before on these topics, but I think it's really most runners, you know, knowing the timing and when to add these in and then realizing that if you're adding in one thing, we have to take away from another in, in a certain manner. And it is usually once we start adding in faster running, we need to make sure that those other runs are staying very easy and, you know, it is very common for a lot of runners to want to hit a pace on the watch because they can never do a run that's slower than a 10 minute pace for an easy run or 
whatever, nine minute to pick your time, right? 12 minute, whatever it is. Um, and you know, we need to realize if we're pushing our body on that workout the day before now, my legs need extra recovery and I need to even slow down that easy run even a little bit more. So. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It makes sense. I think it's like, when you have a good foundation in place, like it then becomes a question of order of operations in terms of like kind of things that are important, but not maybe specific to your race pace. I think you highlighted that with the marathon where like, yeah, short intervals targeting your VO two max, probably not going to be using that pace too often during the marathon, but it's going to be helpful in the long term. but threshold work and then marathon pace work and things like that are going to be very specific to what you may actually see on race day. So having kind of those a little closer to the race itself tend to be maybe a little more valuable. So you're moving to more specific things as you get further into your plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very, very important. Awesome. And the next thing you had on your list was nutrition. You want to talk to us a little bit about kind of like the nutritional component and why that's important to being healthy, happy while you're running. Yeah. Well, nutrition is one of those things that either get overlooked, um, that we don't understand the importance or again, as I mentioned before, you know, there are a lot of adult runners out there that start running because they are looking for weight loss. And, you know, what we think traditionally weight loss, right? We need to eat less. And, mm -hmm. you know, what we don't realize is that our body uses food for energy when we run. And if we're not eating enough before our runs, um, especially for those harder workouts and our long runs, then we're actually leaving, right? Like some of your running fitness on the table, so to speak, and you're not maximizing your potential as a runner. So, you know, making sure that you have a simple, easy strategy that you're going to be able to fuel your body um, for your runs so you don't run out of energy, you know, and if you are feeling like your legs always feel heavy, like that's something that, you know, we have a registered dietitian in our program who works with a lot of our runners with this. And, you know, it is usually, you know, the people that never have energy and they just like exhausted all the time. Um, their legs never feel um, light. They, they don't feel like they're recovering from their workouts, from their runs. Um, and it's usually when we dive into the nutritional aspect and see, you know, are they fueling for running? And that's really the key. And obviously, you know, hydration plays a role. Electrolytes, when we're in the heat, um, will play a role as well. But it is one of those things of being chronically underfueled um, can certainly actually be a risk factor for getting injured. Um so, and even just having, you know, there's, you know, relative energy deficiency syndrome and having reds and just not having energy, um, in general, um, because of the training that you're doing as a runner, um, can be an issue. So just kind of bringing some, you know, um, light to that. And it is part of the training in, you know, what you put in your body and the timing in which you do that needs to be planned around, you know, your training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because there, there's definitely no shortage of people who either get into running primarily or in part because they're like, hey, I want to get more healthy and I need to lose X number of pounds to kind of get within the range where my doctor is um, telling me I should be at. And you know, running seems like a good vehicle of the energy outside of things. But then also you have to match that with that energy deficit in order for it to actually like take place. So it becomes sort of a competing interest to some degree with like the performance side of stuff, which, um, you know, there's like, I think a lot of times, like there's just like, it's like an order of operations things as well, where like 
you know, if you have enough time, then like sometimes in those earlier phases of training, when maybe you're not doing as much like the speed work component of things, you might have a little bit more of a window to get away with a caloric deficit. If that is your goal to lose some weight versus the runner who's like already at their ideal weight and things like that. And then it's like, we need to make sure you're getting enough across the board so that we don't sacrifice potential performance benefits from uh, an energy deficit, like you mentioned. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of runner, you know, especially I find younger runners, um, especially really feel like, Hey, I don't need to eat anything. Cause I'm not hungry and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't realize them once they actually start fueling and they see the difference in performance, it's like eye opening, um, yeah. experience. Yeah. And sometimes just like, yeah, when you're younger and you don't know what you, or, or older, I guess, and you just don't know the way the body plays with that summer stuff too, is you can have scenarios where like you do a workout and you're not hungry because exercise can have a short-term like hunger dampening effect where, you know, maybe you get very hungry later on in the day, but you, you might miss some opportunities to kind of stay on top of the fueling that you're going to need for that next workout by kind of not recognizing that that could be the potential there. Right. And I, I think that's a nice kind of segue to our next, um, you know, topic or tip, um, is recovery. Yeah. And, you know, nutrition is, is part of that recovery process as well as hydration. And, you know, if you think about anyone who's done a race, right, like you finish that race, you're not thinking about eating, like you're not hungry because like you said, like your body literally was taking all of your blood flow and bringing it to your skeletal muscles. It was bringing it to your muscles so you can actually run. And it was taking away blood flow from your digestive system. So your digestive system is not saying like, Hey, feed me. Um, you know, it, all your blood flow is to your muscles. So, you know, even getting in that hydration, nutrition after your race to help your muscles recover, because that's when, you know, right after you're done, like that whole process is starting. And if you're looking to bounce back quicker, um, you know, to continue your training after a hard workout, a long run, or even, you know, recover from your race. So you're not like, you know, hobbling down the stairs for like a week. Um, you know, we have to get those nutrients in and the hydration, even though we don't feel hungry. Um, but other elements of recovery that are really important um, for runners, as we say, kind of, you know, recovery is actually part of the training. Um, everyone thinks of it as the runs is the training, but recovery and how we approach it. So, you know, definitely, you know, big, big believer in having that day of rest and, you know, having a rest day from running to allow our bodies to recover from the training that we're doing. And then also, you know, taking care of, the other elements, um, you know, foot health is a big thing. And you came on, you know, my show to talk about like healthy feet and, you know, we put a lot of miles, a lot of pounding on our feet. So, you know, what are you doing to, you know, allow your feet to recover, whether it is Epsom salt baths, whether it is, you know, elevation, you're using, you know, some like, you know, toe splays to help stretch the small muscles in your feet, um, are using compression, are you, you know, using some of those elements to make sure that you're allowing, you know, proper foot recovery, um, you know, muscle recovery, other elements of recovery include your mind. Like we talked about mindset before, but, you know, making sure you have some good self-care strategies on board, whether it is, you know, meditation, breathing techniques, like all of those things are going to help your mind recover, help your body recover, 
you know, whether you like restorative yoga, um, you know, stretching, I would also put in this bucket. Um, you know, this is where we want to do some stretching for, you know, most runners, the most important thing, as I mentioned before, we're strengthening. And that's why stretching is only, it doesn't even get its own category because, uh, I think, uh, most runners for many years overemphasize stretching, um, where it didn't need to be as emphasized as much, but if you have a mobility restriction in a certain muscle group, such as your calf muscles, let's use that example, because we talked Achilles before or plantar fasciitis, then you will prioritize, you know, some stretching of your calf muscle um, and your Achilles tendon. But, you know, if you want to do a relaxation, you know, stretch session, like this is part of recovery. Um, yeah. And just thinking about recovery as you need to dedicate that as part of your training, especially when your training is peaking and you are hitting that max mileage, you know, your max long runs. And, you know, that is going to help your body recover from those workouts. Uh, so you can continue to do it, you know, the following week or take that next step up in the training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think those are all great, great points. And um, I know the last point is kind of the one where it's like the the cherry on top, so to speak. So you make it through your training, things go well, you're tapered, you're fit and ready. Eventually you have to get around to strategizing what you're going to do on race day and essentially carry over what you learned from training to actually execute the event that you're training for. You want to talk to us a little bit about the like race strategy and how that fits into the piece? Yeah. So if you are, you know, training for a race, there's a way and, you know, I don't need to tell you this, right. You've done it at, at the highest levels. Um, you know, there's a way you need to approach that race. And especially if you're new to certain distances, you need to have a plan. Um, you need to have a plan, but then also, right. As you gain experience, you realize sometimes the plan doesn't have, you know, go the way you want it, but you need to have backup, uh, plan. Uh, so you need to have plan a plan B you have your goals, right? Your a goal B and C goals, and you, you have to have a plan on how you're going to execute, you know, an effective race strategy. And for most runners, you know, especially if you're starting out new in a distance, you know, the most common thing we do is we're all jazzed up adrenaline's pumping and we go out too hard, you know, for that first you know, th I like to call it like third of the race. Um, so for the half marathon, this like first three miles marathon, like first six, um, you know, we're, we're definitely going out too fast. And if we try to keep those our slowest miles of the whole race, um, usually that's going to result in you feeling strong and confident at the end of the race, which I think is most important for people to feel at the end of a race where they're feeling strong and confident and passing people along the way versus being the person who is getting passed by everyone. And now you just feel like, what did I do all the training for? Um, so that's, that's the most common mistake. And I'm sure you see it in, you know, the athletes that you work with. And I'm sure there's been some races maybe that, you know, you've had that happen to you uh, where you do go out too hard. And unfortunately um, it didn't result in, in, in a good, um, you know, outcome at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting in the ultra running communities. I think like there is a relatively large pacing problem. And I mean, like you said, I'm as, as guilty of this as anybody. <laughs> um, and it's like, it, it's, it's harder to the degree where like you don't have as much feedback from training. That's going to end indicate what you're capable of. And, you know, obviously having a goal finishing time really helps strategize a pacing strategy, 
Whereas when you get like this end target that's so far down the road and, and so far further than even your long run, you are kind of playing a fair bit of guessing at that. But you look at the data and ultra runners and you see a lot of like positive split uh, frameworks that are pretty aggressively positive to the degree where I don't think necessarily from just a, the standpoint of being longer indicates that it should be deviate very much from what the other endurance events are seeing in terms of like, what's going to be the best path forward to get to the finish line, the fastest. And those are going to be like slight positive, slight negative and anything in between versus like a 10, 15, 20% variance between the first half and the second half of the race. So my advice with ultra runners usually is like, if you think you're going easy enough, the beginning slow down yet, <laughs> and then you'll probably be more happy at the end of the race. And uh, you get a little bit of a mindset and ultra running over just uh, this, this idea that like, it's going to be hard at the end, no matter what, because you're both phys physically and mentally like worn down to a degree of just doing an activity for, you know, a full day sometimes or further in some cases. And they, they almost accept that as such a reality that it becomes like this goal of banking miles, so to speak early on, so that you're taking advantage of the part where you're fresh body and mind. When in reality, they should be looking at it as a currency of like, if you spend that here, it's not going to be available at the end. And it's just pretty rare that people have an experience of actually negative splitting an ultra marathon. So they don't actually have that perspective of, oh, I can actually feel best or most motivated is probably a better way to say it in the later stages of a race versus the early stages. And until you actually feel that experience, it becomes hard to shift that paradigm to some degree. Right. H have you ever had a negative split? In yeah, actually, races? my best race was a negative split. When I ran 11 hours and 19 minutes for 100 miles, the first 50 miles was two minutes slower than the last 50 miles. So I was, I think I was, um, what was it? It was 540 for the first 50 miles and 538 for the last. And my fastest mile splits were actually in the final like 10 miles. So that one was a combination of just like perfect pacing more or less in the beginning. And then like probably just like really on point fuel hydration strategy where like I was, I had all the resources available to be able to kind of keep pushing at the end versus feeling like I was running on fumes. Right. I, I think what's most important is, you know, as opposed to really trying to make sure like, you know, the first half is a little slower than the second half is, is really the runner getting in control and in a rhythm for those first couple of miles, right. Versus just like going with the pack and, you know, letting the adrenaline take them. And then they're like, Holy cow, like mm -hmm. I'm way off my pace, right. That yeah. I should have been doing. So I, I think that's like most critical is, is keeping those first couple of miles, um, you know, ideally the slowest and trying to really just get in that rhythm, um, early on and, and get, calm and, and comfortable um, so they can get into nice breathing rhythm, nice form. Um, so then in those middle miles, you know, they're just like cruising along in those middle miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you can, there's an endless number of things to dive into with this topic, but it's also like you go too fast. You have a sport like ultra marathoning where digestion is a huge component too. Like most like DNFs and things are due to gastrointestinal type issues. And there's a very high percentage of that occurring in single day events, even. So like, it's one of those things too, where you start out too fast, you're actually increasing the likelihood of the fuel you're taking on early on, putting you in a position to not properly digest that and end up in a situation where you experience a gastrointestinal issue versus starting out more conservatively and having a more, more of a tolerant, uh, 
digestive tract, I guess, to that, to that uh, energy source that's coming in. So it kind of almost becomes an exponential problem to some degree where you get out too fast and things start to pile up that wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have kind of done that first mistake. Yep. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I know that's a common thing. Uh, you know, we see that in, in a lot of marathoners, but yeah, in the ultra community, that's a, that's a big thing is having the GI issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, there's, there's a reason there's tons of porter potties lining the marathons and <laughs> there were longer race courses. <laughs> so uh, Dwayne, though, this has been awesome. It's been fun to chat with you. And I was, uh, excited before and even more excited now that we were able to go through your your, your six-step plan. I think it's a, a great thing for anyone, whether, whether they're a new runner or an old runner looking just to kind of like remind themselves of like, okay, there is a, a, a detailed process here that can be very helpful. And oftentimes I know I, I do this as well. And it's like, you get fixated on one of those six things and decide like one is more powerful than the other or misplace them. And uh, you know, decide you don't need that area as much. And it's a good to have that reminder from time to time to the, make sure you're kind of checking those boxes and keeping everything kind of heading in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. We got to keep, you know, all of us for the most part want to keep moving up, right? We want to challenge ourselves as adults and see what's the next level that we can get to. And, you know, if we get injured, then we can't get to that next level. So, yeah. Implementing, you know, that's, you know, thanks for having me on honestly to share this and the next step for those that are listening is to implement, right. Yeah. And implement those steps. So if you just hear about it and you don't do it, uh, then you're not going to, you know, see the benefit of those six steps. So, you know, that's, you know, that's key is to implement. Awesome. Well, Dwayne, if someone listening to this decides they want to dive deeper into the topics we talked about today, where can they find you and some of the resources you have available? Yeah. So, you know, thank you. Um, sparkhealthyrunner.com is kind of home base on the website. Um, but if you like podcasts, we have the healthy runner podcast where we really get into kind of how do we get stronger, run faster and enjoy lifelong injury free running. And, uh, you can check out Zach's episode on there, which, uh, got a lot of listens, uh, people like that episode and hearing your story. Um, and, yeah, you know, on on the socials, Instagram, uh, Spark Healthy Runner um, is the handle, and got a bunch of free resources for those that have battled injuries before. Um, you know, have a lot of you know PDFs and and guides on how you overcome you know Achilles tendon pain, IT band syndrome, and all those you can kind of get from my website or go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Awesome, Dwayne. Well, thanks again for taking some time and coming on. And I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes so listeners can head over and check out everything you're up to. Cool. Well, it was great uh, touching base again. And thanks for having me on the show. Perfect. Take care. Bye now. Hey, folks. Thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training, and programming. I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. -on -one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. 
And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program. So you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zackbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 